Alright, hello and welcome back to episode... Officially it's three, but technically it's four. Isn't it? Or is it two? Yeah, because we just did the Because we had the one. intro, so we had intro and then EPO, so this is technically three. Yeah, this is number three. Okay. Um, how do you, are you? Do you want to do the intro? No, you should do it. You're British. <laughs> like, hello, hello. You know, just like fancy. You know, we have a fan from Poland. Michelle, who uh-huh. who lo- loves your accent, who like, like my accent. Yeah, he, I always think I have such a nothing accent. These days. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's obsessed with English. <laughs> like, he he's been trying to um, shout out to him. He's been trying to better his English mm. to uh, go to university somewhere, maybe abroad, maybe not. Right now, he's speaking of staying in Poland, but uh, there was some talk about him coming to Finland and. Uh, you know, that would be cool if he mm. had come, but I think in the end, the winter in Finland really scares them away. You know, we have... Well, I think Poland has pretty uh, harsh winters too, doesn't uh, it? No, nah, he lives in some random village somewhere, so okay. he doesn't <laughs> see... And the snow is like the most, probably the best entertainment he has had. <laughs> 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 nah, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So how was your week? Well, I had an exam. Which went okay, biomechanics exam. Okay. Kind of annoyed that there was one of the questions, if I remember rightly, I had to, to, I went back and uncorrected the correct answer and put the wrong answer in because it was like 30 minute online exam. Yeah. I remember going through and I had the correct answers and I went and unclicked and put the wrong answer in in one of them. Uh, Yeah, I've learned also from early childhood that especially with my good intuition, when you get that, if you really put time and if you think that is correct answer, you just stick with it. And if mm-hmm. you're wrong in the end, you're wrong. But as you said, nothing is worse, no feeling is worse than to going back and correcting a wrong answer or yeah. a correct, uh, wronging a, wrong, a correct answer. Yeah. And that's, you know, so. But then on, on Wednesday we went and we played a bit of... Uh, wheelchair basketball didn't we yeah last week yeah, yeah we did yeah uh, so since the last episode yeah i've played wheelchair basketball yeah how was that experience i thought it was it was really good fun yeah but the tips of my fingers were so sore from getting caught in the spokes and yeah, yeah. the little attachment for the oh my god i had like three fingers were all like <laughs> cut up and bruised yeah but it was it was really good fun I really want. I really want to try it again. Yeah, definitely next week again, same time. Um, and Aro, Aro is ready to coach you again. Mm-hmm. I ho- hope you, hope you with basketball, and you can maybe teach him a, a few bad words. You know, in, <laughs> in, 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 in English, if he doesn't already know. I'm um, sure if he if he's learned any English, his English is pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure he already knows more <laughs> new bad words that I don't already know. Um, yeah, so for me, Sus Loma is this week. Uh, yeah. I didn't have any exams, unfortunately. Um, we had uh, basketball uh, on Monday, and then Sunday I had a really bad swim, so I just took it easy. Uh, this tonight I will go swimming again this evening, but all week mostly I've been playing Overwatch 2, the new game. Uh, oh, it's not new, it's. It's is an it old a, game, but is that some kind of video game? It's a video game, yeah. Uh, it's a, a first-person shooter. It's, it's like a team game as well. Sounds very so violent. It's not violent. It's, it's actually quite tame and violent. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting. It's a five v five character, like a champion character type of thing, a hero or what they call it in English. And um, it's it's fun. It's I mean. I I, t- I tend to stay away from video games in the swimming season because mm-hmm. with swimming you're so tired always in the evenings to um to play anything recent. And also, so. if you start to play video games, then you end up staying up an extra hour or so. Yeah, and that's, you get less sleep. Yeah, you get less sleep, and then you you try to you wake up early in the next morning, and then you either don't want to go to where you're, you're supposed to be or you just sleep right through it mm. which is not a good thing to do yeah. so yeah but next week uh, is a back to the grind you know <laughs> two two times a week and and I go back to the gym as well on Sunday so yeah I started back at the gym recently 
sort of mainly stuff around strengthening my my weakened left knee. Okay. Because yeah, it was maybe just over a week ago, it was just some uh, playing around in the laboratory with this test for coming back from like ACL injuries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So mine's not actually an ACL injury, but they I did the did the test to show the other student because my left knee's a bit weaker. Oh my god, I I got quite emotional about it. <laughs> that it's been two years. Okay. And there was this lateral hop. So if you have a line on the ground and it's, let's say it's three meters or something, okay. and I have to do hop but cross the line just a little bit each way. And obviously with my right leg, I can do it in about two or three hops. Mm-hmm. Left leg was about six. And I was just so careful and so worried about my knee collapsing on me. This brings back an image from a children's game called Hopscotch, I think, where you oh, have yeah. a box, uh, boxes, sorry, and then you try to bounce yourself with one leg through the boxes. Is that similar test to... It's a very similar sort of movement, yeah. Okay. Very similar sort of movement. And even the, you know, when you do when you play hopscotch, yeah. you, you hop, you land on your foot, and you have to be able to balance on that foot and then pick up a stone. Yeah, yeah. God, it's taking me back oh, to the I, old I was, days. I was really good at that. My, my, uh, <laughs> my bouncing on my butt was <laughs> spectacular. Bouncing on, you know? Yeah, it, it, so yeah, it's a very similar sort of movement. And... My left leg is not very good at it. And I, I remember getting quite emotional and sort of going, oh, my God, it's been like two and a half years and I still can't do this properly. <laughs> and the rest of the group were all physiotherapists, so I got loads of advice. Okay. So I have like the, the little round balance board that you stand on with one yeah, leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I can do that just fine. Yeah, so yeah. Because it's not me. That's when you're doing like your, your gluteus. Yeah, yeah. So... What I've been doing, I went down to like the local sports sort of field, okay. and there's a fence there. So what I have to do is take a ball, so I've got like a, a basketball, standing on one leg on the balance board, bouncing this thing off a fence at different angles, okay. so that I learn how to catch when my knee's going to, to collapse, okay. and it's learning the, the skill rather than just getting stronger, okay. and I do feel quite silly doing that. I, I have a mental image of you doing it. You know, I, I have a feeling like a passerby just goes by and go, what, what is he what doing? What is that insane old man doing? Yeah. Whacking a basketball and against a fence. You know, the, the good thing for you is they talk it up to your age. They go, oh, he's, he's, just, <laughs> he's just old. And then you just, they just continue. They don't care. It's, yeah. it's Finland, you know? But then I can sort of pretend <laughs> that I'm like a proper athlete because I've got the, you know, the ladder for doing footwork drills and the little, yeah. the little uh, hurdles for doing like plyometric jumps and stuff, so I do a little bit of that as well. But it's it, it appears that my knee is actually fine. Okay. Like physically. Yeah. yeah. But I'm still just a bit too scared to use it. Okay. Because the amount of times it's, it's sort of collapsed and it's hurt a lot. It's been quite a few. and Yeah. So it's just more of a fear thing, which is well, kind go- of upsetting, really. Well, the good news is that if you... Uh you do end up severely injuring yourself. You you do know a sport now that can uh, be beneficial. Yeah, I'll just... How many points do I get as a player if I'm playing wheelchair basketball? You get... Technically, right now, you would get 4.5 points because you're yeah. completely normal. You're yeah. completely healthy. But uh, if you, you know, bang up your knee, we can make a case that you're 4.0 due to your age, <laughs> you know? You just be like, ah, I'm sorry, like, you know... You know, I'm t- I technically have one leg, you know. <laughs> no, am I actually allowed to come and just take part in you like, can, local yeah. R&D? Technically, game? yeah. You can, you can of course, um, uh, compete in the SM Liga, but you can't compete like international. Uh, in international, yeah. That's fair and that's enough. because they want more players in the league as much as possible. Um, but, uh, and you I mean, you would, you can't just show up to the game. You have to be actually quite good, so... <laughs> Um, Which I'm, I'm, I wasn't, but uh, it was, it was fun. To I play. think you were okay. You did have a tank as a wheelchair. Yeah, it's I called Bondi in France. Yeah, I had a really big, heavy so, wheelchair. But it was on purpose so you can, like, you know, work your upper body. You know. Yeah, so. what I really found was that my upper back afterwards. Yeah, yeah. That I kind of expected to be like the the front of my shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah, it was my upper back up around here was 
was really tired afterwards and so and like with public technique you should be using also your core your shoulders and your back so we'll cover public technique next time next yeah. wednesday and you can report back how how well you're progressing <laughs> and then one day if you really want to punish yourself and and really work hard you should go to monday's practice oh, and well, that's I just think if i turn up on monday's practice i'm wearing all of my so downhill mountain bike yeah, yeah. protection stuff. And Monday, Monday's practice is just basically what would happen is because you're you're learning the game, you don't have, you don't really have any experience. What would happen is you would push yourself as hard as you can to the other side, and then the game would have already gone past you two times. Well, that already kind <laughs> of happens to me as well. <laughs> yeah, you it was like to... as soon as the ball went, yeah. I'm blaming on having a soft tire, but I'm yeah. just trying to get going. And everybody else would be like two, three meters ahead of me. And I was like, oh, I feel so slow. Yeah, so on, on Mondays, it's like that, but ten times worse. Like yeah. The game would just continue going without you. You would go to offense and then require to push yourself back to defense. By the time you get back to defense, we would be already on offense. Yeah. So, and it's more, I think, from... Um, we have a new player, uh, This the girl that you saw, the, yeah, big, yeah. the, the tall one. Uh, she was brand new. She started recently, like maybe at least yeah. four weeks ago. Like very new, and she's now coming also to Monday's practices. And so Wednesdays, you you see she's yeah, like really tall. Yeah. She's tall she can she sit inside the paint really well. Uh, but on 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 Mondays, it's more of an intellectual game because yeah. she's playing with players who literally we just won the last year's championships against uh solo yeah so you know this it's not enough to be big and tall you have to also contribute in other ways so defend someone get the rebounds yeah and she's finding out that it requires a lot more focus and and a lot more determination as well oh yeah i mean so i used to play basketball back in mid 90s yeah it was like the last time I played, and it was, I, I was quite happy. I was one of those kids that was quite happy just to go down to the basketball hoop on my own, yeah, and just practice shots from like around the D, yeah, yeah. and just constantly practicing three pointers all on my own, yeah, and then playing a bit of two on two, yeah. So I wasn't really used to playing much as part of a team, yeah, and yeah. So it turns out I'm not very much of a team player when it comes to to sports. Yeah, I had, I had, uh, we had uh, a couple of years ago, I want to say, right after Corona finished, the restrictions, so maybe a year ago, uh, precisely, we had a new player come in, and he was really fast in a wheelchair, I mean, he was like an ex-rugby player or something, Yeah. and, um, well, I think he tried rugby, I don't know if he was an ex-player, but he would, um, uh, he would, he would get the ball, or he would, he he would be passed to, and then he would throw the ball like just wherever he was. Just throw to whatever direction he was, and he <laughs> would maybe sometimes aim at the basketball hoop, which would be a great thing that he was to make a point. But he would just panic, and <laughs> we tried to tell him, "Just you have a whole team. You have yeah. four other players. Just stay calm and just wait for help or whatever." And after a while, uh, what happened was, actually, it was really funny. He um, came to Wednesday's practices, and you know it's about, you know, more about yeah. having a good time, casual, uh, kids mostly. And um, we try to practice skills, and the game tempo isn't, isn't that big, isn't that, you know, fast. And then so he told me, the, I'm the head coach and my assistant coach, Tanya, that, hey, uh, this is too easy for me. Let's can we can we make this harder? So we invited him to Monday's practice, and he was he was fastest among the the people in the Wednesday's group, but the Wednesday's fastest is Monday's slowest. Yeah. So he went to Monday, and not only did he did he see himself not have the proper speed, because we were ten times faster, but he had no proper game awareness no team work awareness and so he just he basically burnt himself out yeah and then he said he just rage quit in real life he just basically <laughs> stopped 
going to basketball and then once I contacted him in text messages and said, hey, what's going on? Or like, why are you not coming? Um, he just, you know, he said it's not a team, he's not a team player or he, he's not a team yeah, a person who does team games. Well, I found that with, with just team games in general. So, so when I was growing up and you're growing up in England, everything is football. Yeah. And then second, or well, if it, football's first and second as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I played a little bit of basketball and table tennis and stuff, but I preferred solo sports. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I, I sort of do swimming, cycling, running, um, but everything I prefer to do it by myself. So if I win at something or do well, then it's all to do with me. Yeah, yeah. And then also if I lose, yeah, yeah. it's all down to me. Yeah, yeah. But in a team game, I remember I would try really hard and then you still lose. And it just, it drove me mad. Yeah, I'm actually quite, it's quite uh, funny because I'm quite the opposite. In team games, I, I really believe in winning, you know, like I, I, I never, you will never hear me say it's a lost game. I, it, it could be like 20 to 0 or 0 to 20. There is always that drive for me that we can still win this, we can come back oh, in no, momentum. Not me, I, that, I would have... I would have given up before we yeah. that kind of score. And, and I've noticed that in team games, especially basketball, uh, I'm always trying, I'm always, you know, trying to be support and no, uh, no stuff, uh, lift yeah. everyone up. Um, but then the opposite, the opposite is true in the, in the one we won games. Like, in, swimming is not a game, but swimming is a sport where you do individually well. Yeah. Tennis, we were to tennis when I competed, is a sport where you do individually well. Chess, where I competed, yep. you do individually well. And in those, I've noticed myself, in those uh, situations, I'm more critical, and I always assume the worst. In swimming as well, you saw me Oh yeah, you were so negative before. I was negative, because I always think that it's going to be the worst thing that can happen to me. And then when it, it's kind of funny, because when it doesn't happen, when I swim, like I finish record again or something, I'm like, oh, this is quite, this is quite nice. <laughs> but I, I think, I think it's also due to, if I think myself to be better than I am, I think that's worse than thinking yourself worse, right? Yeah, I can skip. Because yeah. if you think yourself better, then you're not giving your, your opponent respect. You just mm -hmm. assume that you're better, and then when he matches your level or he outperforms, then you go well. He, he, you know, I'm, I'm, still good, but yeah. I'm having a bad the, day. The cognitive dissonance. It, yeah, yeah. So I always think, and I think it's being finished as well. We are, from a young age, really inculcated to believe that uh, we are nothing. And then <laughs> just, <laughs> just, you know, I remember when we won. Uh, yeah, but I'm British, and we're, yeah. we're, all of our history lessons, geography, everything was talking about how great we were yeah. 150 years ago. I remember uh, several years ago, I, I was part of this same team, and we won the Finnish championships. And then my friend and I, my friends and I, went to have a celebratory eating somewhere mm -hmm. at like a mall or something, like a big store. Uh, and we were found a restaurant there, and I remember we had our um, medals. medals from the game. And before we entered the place, we all took them off or hid them under our shirts. Yeah. And I was like, in America, this would be the opposite. We would have the yeah. medals. It's like, <laughs> go crazy. No, but I can understand the whole sort of. Uh, I don't want to be too flashy about it. Yeah, this yeah, thing. but it's funny. So I, so we all we, like simultaneously we just hid the medals or we put them under a shirt or put them in the book bag and stuff like that. And yeah, and then, and when I won the, uh, when I was younger, I won a chess medal in mm -hmm. Finland. And I remember as soon as I left the playing hall, I, I just had this instinct to hide it. So I mm -hmm. didn't want, I didn't want people to like see it and go, oh, he's, he yeah. has a medal. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to stop talking about ourselves. Yeah. So what's the topic? We're here to today? actually educate people. Oh, okay. So, Okay. Again, we'll go over, this is the, the deep end, or if you actually read it properly, the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a name change coming soon. <laughs> I don't know, I, I like the idea of it just being the deep end. <laughs> but we have a deeper look into something around sports, sports science, sports history, each week. Something that people either don't know about or they haven't thought about before. So, my favourite thing, 
biomechanics. Obviously, I like reading about people that have been cheating, but biomechanics is kind of the, the way of improving performance very quickly. And you can improve performance very quickly with biomechanics just by improving technique, which yep. is pretty much what biomechanics is for, for sports people. So biomechanics is measuring the forces that you use when you're doing certain movements, whether it's how your foot hits the ground or how you're measuring forces when you're doing like a bicep curl or something. Mm -hmm. So I want to try and tell this particular story, starting with a high jump. So we've all seen the high jump. And what we watch, do you know the name of the technique? When you see high jumpers these days, what is the name of that technique? Jumping over the bar. Oh my God, I can't believe you're so ignorant of this. <laughs> it's called the Fosbury flop. Okay. Have you ever heard of that? Sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds like one of the Olympics and the commentators are talking about it. Yeah, so it, it was originated by a guy called Dick Fosbury. Yeah. And it was, well, you kind of have to go back a little bit further because if you think about just jumping over something, you, you kind of start by just tucking your knees up and you call that the legs up jump. But the problem is, so you, you, you're familiar with the centre of mass, your centre of gravity. Mm -hmm. So you, the idea with the centre of gravity, you have to imagine like there's a point which is the central point of all of your weight. So normally, if you imagine, it sits somewhere around your pelvis when you're, when you're jumping. But it can move in and outside of your body depending on the orientation of your, your limbs. So then people moved up from the legs up into what we call the scissor jump, where you come up sideways and then you kick one leg up and then the other one scissors up over, mm -hmm. which is actually the technique that suits me the best because I'm not very good at the high jump. Mm -hmm. Then there's another one called the, the Eastern Cutoff mm -hmm. where you, you kick up and you're trying to bring that center of mass closer to the bar because you're limited how high you can physically get your center of mass to jump and then you're using that technique to try and get up and around the bar. So for, uh, for a long time, before Dick Fosbury, people were getting their centre of mass super, super close with stuff like the eastern cut-off and the dive straddle and the straddle jump, mm -hmm. which dive straddle introduced in about 1960. So you're getting really close. But once Dick Fosbury came along mm -hmm. and you arch your back over, that your centre of mass, because you've got so much of your mass underneath the bar mm -hmm. the center of mass is technically under the bar so you can actually get do a higher jump than your center of mass gives you yep. which is pretty cool and that's legal okay. you're allowed to do that and that's your better technique now the thing i'm really interested in is when you start talking about techniques there's also banned techniques in sports mm -hmm. and so again People talk about technique in long jumping. Mm -hmm. So long jumping, there's like a couple of different techniques. Your foot hits the board. You can do something called the sail, where mm -hmm. you arch your back and both legs hang. You can do the hitch kick, where you look like you're running through the air. Mm -hmm. Or if you watch YouTube these days, you can do a front somersault. Okay. Now, I should have a look through. <clears throat> where is he? I've actually I've written this down somewhere. So it was actually a Kiwi, uh, an indigenous Kiwi from uh, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Where is he at? Uh, I don't have it on this particular sheet. But David, oh, I'm going to have to edit in what his actual name is because I've managed to not write it down on this particular sheet. So it was originally called David, but he's, um, it was Maori. Okay, but he was in university at the, uh, in in the states, mm -hmm. so collegiate uh, competition goes down the run up, does a somersault, mm -hmm. and there's actually a video of it on YouTube. Yeah. So if you have a look for the somersault long jump, and you see that he comes within about nine centimeters of the world record, but he actually fluffs the landing and okay. lands kind of I think puts his hand down behind him. Yeah. And if he just managed to stick the landing. Like practice a little bit more, it would have broken the world record straight away because when you talk about the centre of mass moving, mm -hmm. in the long jump, there's two parts of the long jump which slow you down. When your foot hits the board, mm -hmm. you 
slap and then there's a big braking force which you then have to try and convert into upward and forward movement mm -hmm. with if you're trying to do a somersault your foot hits the ground and there's less of a braking force mm -hmm. so you actually slow down less when yep. your foot hits the board and then when you do the jump similar to like in the high jump you can get your center of mass just a little bit higher which means that you can travel further for the long jump but as soon as the officials saw this uh, somersault technique mm -hmm. they banned it straight away so it's actually in the rules of the long jump that you're not allowed to do a somersault okay for safety reasons yeah but it kind of doesn't sit right with me this this particular rule that you want to try and jump as far as you can this is just good technique mm -hmm. and if you if you watch the landing into the sand is no different mm -hmm. between a regular long jump landing where you're kind of landing on your feet and your backside mm -hmm. and the somersault landing land on your feet and your backside it's no different i mean uh, yeah but to an official i think the possibility of having someone flop the somersault and you just imagine someone winding up and jumping off and just jumping into like a frog type motion and then just not really quite completing the the full somersault and just ending up face first you know <laughs> the, that might have some I, I think maybe i'm not quite sure why they banned you it. obviously you obviously don't watch as many athletics fails videos and as i do i mean because that's actually pretty common already yeah that people land and they land badly yeah you yeah. see them do this big dead sailor and land on their side yeah yeah especially in the triple jump but also in the long jump sorry i'm just going to move my seat around because i've got the sun, the sun yeah it's yeah. going to move around uh, move with you yeah exactly this is a uh, so Hopefully I'm still next to my... You can scratch the lottery and maybe you can win, win, <laughs> some, win some money. Um, so, so I'm, I'm a fan of these interesting techniques. Mm. And so you've got the long jump, Fosbury flop, yep. where you actually land on your back. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, they just put a great big crash mat in there. Yeah. Uh, to, so, again, that could be regarded as dangerous. So what's the difference between the Fosbury flop and the, I'm going to call them the Tuarangi. Mm. It's close, but it's not right. The somersault, brilliant. Now, so the next level from this, mm. so you're talking about moving your center of gravity just a little bit higher yep. by using technique. Yeah. The javelin. Yeah. Now, I followed the javelin because back when I was growing up, we had uh, Steve Backley who was really good at the javelin. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if he was ever world champion. He, he was one of the longest throws ever mm -hmm. with the old type of javelin, which had sort of fluting and stuff on the end to help it fly further. But it was also the days of Jan Zelezny. Mm -hmm. Jan Zelezny, brilliant. Fast run-up, this amazing throw technique. And he always threw so hard that he kind of landed on his belly before the, before the, the, the foul line. And he was great to watch. Mm-hmm. But there was people that had come up with a better technique back in the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. Now, let me just get this on my computer here. So, the javelin. So, javelin, it's an old technique. Going back to ancient Greece, been practiced in uh, the Olympic Games since 708 BC was part of the pentathlon it's been part of the modern olympics game since 1908 mm -hmm. so the important part is that you see that the javelin is held above the head and then you throw but if you look at other sports like the the shot put mm -hmm. or the hammer throw they tend to rotate yeah now that rotation actually increases the speed of the the device the the what is it the ball or whatever mm -hmm. the speed when it's released meaning that it can travel further yeah so going back to the 50s people tried it was it was based on this basque throwing technique um that they would hold the javelin in the middle mm -hmm. and rotate two or three times and then let it 
rip. Mm-hmm. Now, the, at this time, they were actually breaking the world record in practice mm-hmm. just by doing this technique because just by coming down the start and then you wind the javelin up and then you throw it. Yep. And they were already throwing like 90 metres back in the 50s. And then, let's see if I can find the, the, the Finnish name because this one's brilliant. Where did he get? Oh, my computer's very slow. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I'm talking about... Uh, yeah, my computer's t- running too slowly. I it's, saw Finnish flag if you scroll up. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, I got computers. Yeah, I've got too many. Yeah, I've got too many things open at the same time. No, that's for the. the anyway, yeah. I'll try and explain it. So, I'll try and remember what his name is. So, it, it actually has the 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 second furthest throw ever after okay. Uwe Horn. So, what he did, he actually held the javelin by the pointy end at the back, mm-hmm. which means that he has a longer moment arm. Mm-hmm. So that this way you can actually get the, the javelin to go even faster. Yeah. And he managed to throw 103 meters. And I think Uwe Hohn, back in the 80s, threw 104 with the old style javelin. But this was just in practice. 103 meters. I'm sure with a, a little bit of practice, he could have thrown it even further. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it was like just on the first first couple of goes. Can you imagine what the problem is with throwing a javelin like that? <laughs> I mean, quite a little bit dangerous. Uh. A little bit dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing is that if it slips, that yeah. javelin's going straight into the crowd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, I don't care who you are, I don't think that's getting past health and safety these days. No, uh, I don't think so. No, that's not getting past anybody in health and safety. Well. But then, secondly... Uh, they they changed the rules back in the 90s because people were first the 80s then again in the 90s they changed it because the athletes were throwing the javelin so far mm-hmm. because that the the grassy part of the track and field it's about 100 meters okay i think technically it's about 105 yeah, yeah. but let's say it's 100 meters once you start throwing over 100 meters then you're likely to hit another athlete on the other side of the stadium <laughs> so you have to literally limit the technique and the technology to stop people from throwing too far and I mean, killing some, somebody. I mean, some can ends. argue that, uh, you know, throwing that far and hitting a specific athlete might be part of the technique. Because <laughs> <laughs> who, who was the finished thrower that managed to hit an official in the leg? I don't know, but it sounds like something. Terror, terror somebody. Uh, With a javelin? Or? Yeah. Oh, my. Holy. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah this wasn't in the last... It's probably the last ten years when I'm saying oh, quite recently. No. Oh, but yeah, no. he he threw a good. He, he was he was a really good thrower. <laughs> threw it, but the the official went for the measuring and just got his run up timed up a little bit too wrong. Oh no! And got a little bit too close to where the javelin was coming in, and it went straight through his thigh. Oh no! And you can you can actually see the the YouTube clip. Where I don't think I want to. That sounds quite gruesome. There's not as much blood as I thought there would be. <laughs> but it just goes thoom, straight through his leg. And like you imagine from something like Ben-Hur or Spartacus, yeah. the javelin just goes. Thoom, and the guy doesn't seem, obviously, he's a bit concerned that the yeah, javelin yeah. went through his thigh. Yeah, yeah. But not as concerned as you think that he would be. Like I would be, I th- I imagine I would be freaking out, going, "What the?" Frick? I think he's probably shocked. Like, yeah, not... and he's just kind of there, sort of one, on like bending down with one knee ahead of him, uh, just going, "Oh my God, there's a javelin through my leg." Oh no, where did this, where did this happen? Oh, I don't know. So yeah, let's say it was about ten years ago, but I, I can't remember. But okay, you know, seeing this official with the javelin going through his leg was. Yeah. It was really weird. Was he fine afterwards? Was there like surgery involved? I mean, obviously, obviously surgery, there was but, surgery uh, and stuff. And but obviously, I don't know much about the official. I remember the Pitkamaki, Taro Pitkamaki. Yeah. Somebody, oh, Pitkamaki. somebody, somebody correct us. And but yeah, so he he was actually quite upset afterwards after 
hitting the official. And it wasn't his fault. He actually did a legal throw. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think he had to take a bit of a break for half a year to a year. Yeah. Because mentally he was kind oh, of yeah, messed definitely. up by almost killing somebody with a, a great big chucking spear. I mean, imagine if it wasn't a leg, though. Like it was a neck or something. Oh. That I mean, would be even, horrible. even going through your thigh, you've got your yeah. femoral artery there. You yeah, can, true, true. You can bleed out in less than, less than a minute if you get that a bit wrong. Yeah. So it was pretty scary. Yeah, the in terms of care on that is quite uh, serious. They have yeah. to probably take into the ER or the A&E and wait to theater, and then from theater slowly move the jabs in. Because as you said, if they pulled it yeah, out but, immediately, I mean, it's GG. But this is like a... So. It's the kind of injury that you get from a thousand years ago. It was like, who on yeah. earth has like a, a javelin injury nowadays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this. This used to happen back in sort of Viking times and back to the yeah. Greek and Romans. I, I hopefully he made it, but assuming he made it fine, I think he did. Imagine the stories that he'll tell his kids. <laughs> well, I was getting a javelin thrown at me. <laughs> Look at this scar here. Exactly. Yeah. Father, I don't want to go to school today. (laughs) Back in your day. (laughs) Back in my day, I had to go to work and I had a javelin through my leg. Exactly. When my my parents used to go to school and it was always uphill and a headwind both ways. Yeah, yeah. It was always snowing. Yeah. And yeah, I think they both went to the school on the top of the biggest hill in the area. Yeah, exactly. The parents just found the 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 house that's perfectly aligned the top of the hill. <laughs> oh yeah. And, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, so the idea is that it's why I why I like biomechanics is that it's you're using sort of measurements and stuff to help optimize either positions or techniques to try and go further, faster, higher, longer. And so we can do it in in swimming. Yeah, optimizing technique. I was about to, really I was about to say my my coach that you met on the competition, yeah. uh, Jakob, he recommended me a book called uh, Swimming Biomechanics in Swimming. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. In, uh, and what was fascinating was just the amount of maths it had in in the book about you know propulsion and different angles of entry in the water and stuff, and it it took me to a YouTube rabbit hole, as you know, <laughs> from just being yourself, that um, I, I typed in biomechanics and swimming, and then it became like just huge lectures upon lectures, and different talk, people talking about different things. One one guy was talking about um, jumping off the block, and he was measuring exact force that people would be jumping. Oh, yeah, that, that's easy. That's um, relatively simple to yeah, measure. Yeah. So the force in the direction, you just need a force plate underneath the underneath the block. Exactly. So that that's pretty easy to measure. And there was other there was there was some cool other ones that uh, they talked about in the in the video in the lectures, um, like for example measuring how they measure the propulsion in the water. So they attach some um, like wires or something uh, into the to the leg uh, to, to to the arm. Sorry, and then they. When he pulls, you can see it on a graph. Uh, the, yeah, the, well, there's there's different the there's different things for measuring in swimming. There's one. It's like a belt that goes around your waist, and it yep. just measures your your velocity and acceleration. Yeah. So it's really useful for breaststroke, where there's a lot of slowing and accelerating, and you mm-hmm. can see how much people are slowing down, and that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's it's a Finnish Finnish guy or company that does. They they do. Inference of force measurements. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get a force tran- transducer mm-hmm. fitted onto your hand to be able yeah. to measure your angles and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has an accelerometer, and, and, the, and nowadays those chips are tiny. Yeah, of course. So with enough accelerometers and uh, gyroscopes mm-hmm. fitted onto one chip, yep. you can measure the orientation and the acceleration of your hand through the water, and then you can infer the amount of force that you're putting onto the water as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah really interesting and if you do do enough people you can get some really useful data exactly yeah um i've seen one of my old students using the device when, they, when she's been here um one time i was at Gorawa and i was swimming and in the lane that we practiced in the yeah. lane number one i believe it's called uh there was a guy he, there was a swimmer 
and there was like three or four people around him on the pool deck, and one guy was uh, holding this. So the swimmer, first I can I can say the swimmer had a like a gas mask yep. type of thing attached to him, and it, the gas mask type of thing was attached to him into the mouth or around his face, and then the guy who was walking next to the pool, it was, was like a hose, exchange, like yeah. a gas exchange, and it was like a huge. A tube, like white tube, going from the guy to the swimmer, and then they had a machine, and it was fascinating because it looked so strange. The the swimmer would swim, and the guy would walk, and it it kind of looked like the guy walking would kind of drag the guy in the pool. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a it really if you if you think about trying to stay fascinating to walk exactly the same speed as the person, not going too fast or too slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you kind of either sort of Pulling it backwards on somebody's mouth. Yeah, yeah. You're actually pulling them forwards via their teeth. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. So that can affect the results. So trying to go the correct speed is really tricky. Yeah. Um, so for, I mean, I, I like the idea of the, the endless pools for measuring stuff like VO2. Max, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because then you can actually just have everything in one place. Mm. And any slight movement forwards and backwards through the current means that you're, you, you're within the, the flexibility of the hose. But you can imagine you're sort of walking down a 50 meter pool, pushing all of because the machine's pretty small these days. But yeah, it still has to be big enough, and you're sort of pushing this little cart down the side of the pool. Yeah, at the same speed as somebody swimming, and everybody's going to swim at different speeds. Cause, mm-hmm. All right, so we need you to swim at, let's say, do a sub 50 freestyle, mm-hmm. and like for a hundred freestyle, and you've got to swim. That's like a bit of a jog pace. Mm, yeah. It's ju- it's beyond like a, a fast walk. Yeah. You'd have to be jogging along with this thing. But that's the most important one to try and test. Yeah, yeah. To measure oxygen uptake when you're really going full out. Cause I think the, the theory is that you know, your VO2 max is actually going to be a bit lower when you're swimming compared mm-hmm. to, say, if you're running. Yeah. Just because your body's uh, being... Uh, not, you're not holding your body up against gravity. Exactly. So you can't push your aerobic system quite as hard. But let's say you've got some of the top swimmers in the world. They probably can wring out everything from their VO2 max. Yeah. Just normal people can't. I think in those, in that situation, it might be easier to have some kind of zipline apparatus above the lane of the pool and then have the machine hooked up to the zipline and just have they one probably of the, have that at the Australian Institute. Yeah, they, the pool at the Australian Institute is really cool. Yeah, I mean, it sounds if, if I can come up with it in 10 seconds, I'm sure someone with 10 years can come up with it. Yeah, I think the Australian Institute, when I've seen their like videos of their pool, yeah, and they've got to the so, so we've done the camera just with the uh, GoPro mm-hmm. under the water, yeah, yeah, and you can get a little bit of information from that, yeah, and it's fine, but if you imagine. The Australian Institute has the 50-meter pool mm-hmm. with like an array of cameras all the way along the wall. Yeah, yeah. So similar to like metric bullet time, that you can actually measure the speed mm-hmm. and so then like meters per second, but then sort of showing, yeah, so their camera array, I think they ha- might have two. So it's cameras fitted into the wall, force plates on the blocks. Yeah. Yeah, so if you, you just need sort of like a little... Sort of what do you call it? Like a yeah, like a zip line. Yeah. To try and hold the cart, and then. Another thing I was thinking about is similar idea, but have the whole machine or whatever is in the cart on the back of the of the head of the swimmer, mm. like a small box that you just attach. Um, they might not be able to do it now, but with yeah, future technology, it's, it's, things I think get smaller. Things will get smaller. There is, I think you already noticed, there's a company that uh, you can buy their uh, thing. I think it's called like Flex or something, or Felix. I can't remember the name. And it goes similar to a Finnish uh, clock thing that goes inside your like, uh, yeah. swim cap. Inside your swim cap. It's um, Phoenix, I think. Maybe it's called Phoenix. Phoenix, Phoenix yeah. Uh, maybe Phoenix as well. The It's white, and you put it into the left side or right side of your cap with your goggle lining and it supposedly is able to uh, measure how fast you swim 
and your technique if it's uh, optimal or not and also your rotation stuff mm. and i saw this many years ago <coughs> and uh maybe later i can uh, ask to uh, uh play with it play with it yeah because uh it'll be an in- interesting case study with me when when i swim how it would register my technique because yeah. i'm not a normal person yeah so it would be something something to look forward yeah, to it's just things like that yeah I actually got some stuff to talk about with swimming as well because I was watching the the, uh, the Paralympics from 2012 in London. Yeah. And I think I was looking at, I think I was watching S3 and S4. Yeah. And it was a young Chinese kid who was like 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. And you sort of see, the previous world record holder was an American, but he was out in lane seven. Mm-hmm. And he did front crawl. Mm-hmm. And his technique looked okay, but it was just a bit laboured. Mm-hmm. But everybody else did backstroke for the freestyle race. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, my yeah my backstroke. Your backstroke is a little faster than your oh, freestyle. Oh, it's a lot faster. It? It's yeah. a lot faster. Yeah, and with the tempo and having the coordination with both hands going. Um, right now, I'm working very hard on getting the left pool uh, more. Uh, to, tonight, when I go to the pool, I will uh, focus on trying to reverse the backstroke into freestyle. Mm-hmm. And try to do left, right, left, and then maybe it might happen. It might happen that I do left pull with alongside the right pull. So I pull with the left. I make sure the left hand is. Uh, sorry, it goes backwards. So <laughs> the left hand is straight, and then I pull first with the right hand, and as soon as the right hand pull is over, I go with the left hand. If you think about it, you get that potential strength with the left hand yeah. pull. Uh, whereas before, if you remember, the left hand would just bob or flop down mm. to the midsection. Well, it was also interesting, so watching, unlike the backstroke, yeah. that there were guys, it was only the men's race is why I'm saying guys, yeah. but the guys were doing like two-arm backstroke pull. Yeah. So obviously, depending on your, your disability, that, that might be better for you, and it was kind of interesting to see how close people were getting with different techniques. Yeah, it quite it's, exciting. it's fascinating too, because... As a like swimmer as myself, I always watch all the competitions I can just to see if there's a, an idea somewhere that I can uh, u- utilize in my yeah. own swimming. And sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Turns are fascinating to watch because everyone, if you watch their turns, they all have a different style. They all have something yeah. unique to them that they do. Yeah, I mean, this was when you sort of talk about, again, regular swimming with the Brian Lochte with his turns yeah. in freestyle. And then in the medley. Yeah. And I'm not really sure his turn gave him much of an advantage, but mm-hmm. they, they tried to ban it in the medley anyway, mm-hmm. which was kind of bizarre. Yeah. So for non-nerds out there, it, so you know when you do a tumble turn, when you do front crawl, you do a somersault, and then as you're pushing away from the wall, you come onto your front. Mm-hmm. Some people kind of stay on their side for their dolphin kick, mm-hmm. which is what I prefer to do. Get a couple of dolphin kicks on my side. Ryan Lochte will do just a straight flip and then do dolphin kick on his back under mm-hmm. the water. Yeah. He feels that it's faster. And then just as he turns over to his front at about 15 meters, then he does his front crawl. Yeah. Now, like I said, in para swimming, there's people do backstroke for their freestyle race because there's no rules about it. Mm-hmm. But somehow for the medley, they decided to change, change so they changed the rules so that Ryan Lochte can't do that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it just seems like I don't understand why. It's just making rules for making rules sake. Yeah, uh, for freestyle, the one thing that comes to mind is that, uh, especially in para swimming, whatever stroke you start out doing, you must keep that stroke mm. the entire race. I saw one uh, girl race in the, I think it was London, I, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, she was swimming freestyle but she had butterfly technique yeah. so her, she was basically hauling ass with butterfly against these freestylers and she came third yeah and just think about the amount of work that she has to and she was a low category she was yeah. like s4 s5 and just i i could not imagine like if my coach told me really you are swimming 
rinta o hindi in the next freestyle. <laughs> that, no, no shot, my dad. No shot. Oh, no, I don't, I, I'm not this, a fan of doing brushstroke myself. Brushstroke could be... I've never been very good at it. Yeah. But, yeah, it's funny when you... So this is where you get stuck between biomechanics and physiology. Mm, yeah. From the biomechanics perspective, butterfly, yeah. you're getting such a big pull with both hands and then a pretty quick recovery. Dolphin kick is the most effective mm-hmm. kick that there is. Yeah. So butterfly, from a biomechanic, biomechanics perspective, mm-hmm. can't say it properly. Can't English English. Yeah, I can't English anymore, bro. <laughs> but yeah, I butterfly should be the fastest strong. Mm-hmm. But physiologically, it's so hard yeah. that people get tired and then you slow down more when you're doing butterfly. Yeah. So freestyle, or not freestyle, front crawl, or the old Australian crawl. Mm-hmm. Front crawl is just a little bit more efficient mm-hmm. while being just just effective enough uh, mechanically. So it's it's a very fine line. But you'll you'll see when you see uh, paracyclists. Yeah. So I can re- I can remember seeing paracyclists. So they have that kind of what looks like a recumbent bicycle where you sit down and you lay back. Mm-hmm. And then you have the cranks that you crank with your hands. And for the longest time, they just had them like on able-bodied bicycles where one crank at either end and then they would alternate. So right, left, right, left, right, yeah. left. And then somebody, I don't know who, managed to figure out that, oh no, if you put both cranks on at the same angle, mm-hmm. then you can use both hands and just do one big pull and then relax. And that works a lot better So. Everybody does that in para paracycling now. Yeah, but it takes somebody to just go. Oh, well, what if I just put this on the wrong way mm-hmm. and give it a try? And quite often, especially in uh, para sports and people with different disabilities, mm-hmm. that there's a lot more innovation there as well in the sport. That you have you have to be quite innovative to try and get around somebody's disability. Yeah, you have to work around that, and you have to be quite quite smart. And then you can actually come up with more things which can work for, for everybody as well. I've noticed that, you know, in those uh, those kind of inventions, especially um, uh, dis- disability-oriented, like those who have it and they need to have a problem solved, the way they come up with things or the solutions they come up with are sometimes so ingenious. Like that. Yeah, there's a there's a Malcolm Gladwell thing about sort of having having the right kind of uh, sort of we we'll call it like headwinds and stuff. So mm-hmm. if you you're not if you have a very easy life, mm-hmm. like let's say me being able-bodied, mm-hmm. I'm I I'm I can't put my brain into the idea where I have to be more innovative around mm-hmm. certain movement solutions. Yeah, yeah. So, weirdly, some disadvantages prove to be a disadvantage in the long run for mm-hmm. some people. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things he was talking about, was it uh, the David and Goliath book? Um, but anyway, in that book, uh, it talks about people with dyslexia mm-hmm. and the amount of sort of very successful CEOs, politicians, yeah. that have dyslexia they're, they're disproportional, and you would think that people that have difficulty reading mm-hmm. would struggle to move really high up, but they turn it into an advantage because you then have to become a really good talker. You yeah. have to keep a lot of stuff in your head, exactly, rather than just writing stuff down. And yeah, that was a, it was a really so so it's a disadvantage that turns into an advantage, but I don't think people would. Like, let's say you grow up with dyslexia. You wouldn't want your children to have dyslexia because it does make life more difficult and hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. even though it was what caused a lot of their success. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting theory, and you can sort of see the same thing where if you have a disability, you have to be just a little bit smarter around sort of movement solutions and stuff, which means that you can be more innovative in the long run. Yeah. Um. To coming back to like techniques in sport, yeah, that I think like Dick Fosbury had one part of the reason why he ended up doing the Fosbury flop because the hall that he practiced in was much smaller than just a regular athletics hall, okay. So he had to do this weird curved run up mm-hmm. to actually get enough speed, to, yeah, to do his flop. But then everybody copied that 
but it was no, he, he doesn't do the curve run up for a special reason. Yeah, he does the curve run up because he worked in a really small area to practice in. Yeah, but everyone, well, he's new world record holder. I have to copy. <laughs> yeah. So rather than working it out for yourself and working out what the demands are. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's funny because most of the successes in sports that we have nowadays is built upon success that one person came up with or accidentally did or something like that and then it's just improving that small yeah. innovation over time Again, uh, it's, uh, it's cool it's like i go back to the 90s and i, I must have mentioned gray mulberry as my little hero yeah and because he was a great athlete but twice he managed to turn the whole cycling world on its head with mm-hmm. like biomechanical innovation yeah first he had what we called the, the egg position which was would look like a ski tuck mm-hmm. and people used to make fun of him because he looked pretty goofy mm-hmm. and then he went for the world hour records mm-hmm. broke it on his uh, actually second try in two days okay and then when so won the world championships in the 4000 meter pursuit knocking about four seconds off the previous world record mm-hmm. with this homemade bike and stuff but he'd been riding that position for a long time yeah but nobody cared until he started breaking records yeah so then the UCI decided to ban that position because mm-hmm. it was ugly, unsafe. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I think they, they said safety, but there were so many innovations within that one bike yeah. that we've, we've sort of been testing for the last 25 years. Yeah. So he he had a steeper seat angle. So the steeper seat angle brings the saddle forward compared to the bottom bracket, opens up your hip angle, you can produce more power when you're in the, the awkward position that you are on a time trial bike. Mm-hmm. So... Back in the late 90s, we started testing that. Then there was another thing around sort of the narrow bottom bracket. Mm -hmm. So it's more aerodynamic, but for some people, not everybody, just shout out to Xavier Disley, he did his PhD uh, thesis on this. Some people are more biomechanically effective with their feet closer together when they pedal, and some are a bit more effective with their feet wider apart. Yeah. So, But Graham O'Brien, he did this back in 92 and decided that, my feet should be really close together when I'm pedaling. Mm-hmm. So he had like this 90 millimeter Q factor. Okay. So it's more biomechanically effective for him, but also bringing his feet together more aerodynamic. Um, In swimming also, you probably notice, if you have you, your pool closer to your body, the closer to your center of mass, you, or to, yeah. yeah, center yeah, of mass. center line, yeah. Uh, you become, you, you get more propulsion st- strength than as if you will have to, to go yeah, out. Yeah, there's less redundancy that, yeah. If you imagine if, you, if your hand is moving in an, like an arc around yeah. you, yeah. that it's not just traveling further, but you're also pushing in the wrong direction exactly. some of the time. Yeah. But this goes back, oh, I, could, I could talk about the pull under the water and the way I was taught to do it as a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because back in the olden days, I was taught your hand has to go into the water, mm-hmm. thumb and forefinger first, mm-hmm. keep this in mind, and then do the S-shaped pull yeah. so you're sculling. Yeah. The idea was that using this sculling movement, because your hand is like a wing, you create lift, you get extra forward propulsion out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Which is sort of maybe true, but your hand also moving in those directions, you also create extra drag yeah. doing all of that. Exactly. And it was based on, well, I know the book was from Ernesto Maglisco, from Swimming Faster, okay. where they put LEDs on the hands of elite swimmers. Mm-hmm. And they could show that yet your hand doesn't do a perfect straight line through the water. Yeah, yeah. So because they did this sort of very lazy sigmoidal pull. Yeah. Then it was like, all right, what if we exaggerate that and increase it? And it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But it, I still see it being taught by some people nowadays. And the same in Butterfly where they talk about the keyhole pull. Exactly, yeah. Where your hands do kind of do that. But if you exaggerate it, you just end up creating more drag and wasting more energy. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things. It's good to go down those alleyways and find out what is what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the funny pull or Aubrey's egg technique, because then Aubrey then came back. So they banned his egg technique. This mm-hmm. this took. So he went. All right, I'll do exactly the opposite. And then he did <laughs> the Superman position. Yeah. Which again looked really funny. And yeah, it turns out. That was also faster. So he broke the 4,000 Pursuit World Records and then Andrea Colinelli broke it and then Graham Aubrey, uh, sorry, Chris Boardman then broke the 
the pursuit world so all these little advances in technique whether it's to do with the way that you hold your body when you're doing a certain position mm-hmm. um, those little things that once you can measure it mm-hmm. then you can improve it and so things like doing the, the high jump with Dick Fosbury or the, the somersault technique in the, the long jump or spinning they all show innovation mm-hmm you can understand why some are banned for safety, but there's some bands that are just there, and I don't really understand why they're being banned. It's yeah. just because they don't like the way they look. Yeah, yeah. Which is what happened with Aubrey, and I think with the, the long jump. Yeah. That banning techniques just because they think it looks ugly, mm-hmm. I think is a bit of a, a bit of a waste. Yeah. But right, I think I'm, I'm, you're giving me the the look now, so we need to start it, winding up now. And, yeah. So. We'll say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you very much. We don't know, no. <laughs> uh, but uh, tomorrow we'll be doing a new episode. So. Yeah, we'll we'll try and record another episode tomorrow. So and we'll put that one out a little bit later. Exactly. Thank okay. you so much. All right. And goodbye. Thanks very much. Have-